Hi, I am the Strategist Cowboy. Today I am going to review two normal ABV lager beers. One from the Midwestern state of Colorado in the US and one from the country South Africa. This week's two beers are in review order. The grapefruit lager Rue B. Soho and Cape Point. Let's get ready to rumble! Our first contestant for this week is the grapefruit lager beer Ruby Soho. Ruby Soho. From the brewery Scar Brewing in the large town or small city of Durango in La Plata County in the state of Colorado, USA. Since this is Colorado in the Midwest, albeit this beer assortment is a lager beer. I just wonder how they are able to transport this beer all the way from this Midwestern town to Europe. And they charge only 25 kroner for this beer at Systembolaget. Because the beer is brewed and tapped in Durango. And even if there is a river running by Durango, it's a very crooked and long river before it reaches any ocean, if the river even reach any ocean directly. But Durango looks like if it is worth visiting. I, as the strategic cowboy, would rather visit the town of Durango than the city of New York. They have some very interesting early Indian settlements in the national park named Mesa Verde that I would like to see. No tent camps, but brick buildings at the side of a protect, protecting mountain. The mountain probably didn't protect the residents from enemies, but from weather and wind, it would have provided good protection. No one is living there today. That is the America I would like to see. If I go to Rome, what do I want to see? The Colosseum, of course. If I go to Pisa, what do I want to see? The Leaning Tower, of course. There is culture in the US. It's just that it is Indian culture. And Indian culture is not a big thing in the US. But it is to me. The ingredients in the Ruby Soho beer assortment are water barley malt, hop, grapefruit, and yeast. The hop are of the American sort, Cascade. 
to propose that they wouldn't wouldn't use an American hop sword in the U.S. Midwest is nothing short of ludicrous. I could find no information about this beer assortment on the Scar, Scar Brewery's website. As a matter of fact, I couldn't find this beer at all on their website. The best before date on this particular beer is March 24, 2023. They even had it printed on the in the European order with the date first, the month second, and the year third on the bottom of the can. I purchased it in mid-October 2022. It has been standing in my cooler since. The Rue B. Soho Lager Beer Assortment comes in a size 35.5 centiliters, i.e. 12 liquid ounces can. That is an American size can. The can is mainly red and kind of imaginary with a few sketched, sketched figures on it, a beautiful woman and a dead skull with a hat. At the lower part of the can, there is a black and white checker stripe around the sticker on the can. The Rue B. Soho beer assortment costs 25 Swedish kronor, i.e. 2 US dollars and 40 cents. That is 80 cents per 4 ounces of beer. Sustainable says that the preferred serving temperature on this beer is 8 to 10 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery's website says nothing about the preferred serving temperatures. The Rue B. Soho Grapefruit Lager Beer Assortment has got a 5% ABV. 5%. How about the experience then? Not, not a very strong aroma, but a good aroma, I think. We'll see in a minute, in a second. Not a very strong aroma, but uh, it's, a, it's a perfectly okay aroma. It's, it, it, it tastes, it, it's, it smells good. It's, it's got not even a one finger tall head. Uh, but it's a lager beer, and then uh, it's clear and uh, yellow orangey. Sure, tastes like grapefruit. Yeah, first impression. It's got character. It's um, original, so to speak. 
a lot of uh, great opportunity, I think. Um, and my first impression is interesting beer. It's an interesting beer. It's not very rich, but it's a lager beer, so. It's uh, rich for a lager beer, I think. Got a body. Uh, I um, I don't know if I want to say that it's bread like, but uh, well, uh, no, I don't want to say that. For it to be. Uh, pinned as a bread-like beer, I'd like it to be a little bit more bread-like. Otherwise, I'm not going to say that it's bread-like. Well, I could say that it's bread-like, but uh, yeah, you know, it's not very... Almost tastes yeasty, actually, but uh, well, almost. It's malty anyway. I'd say yes. Taste on my palate. Uh, grapefruit. Both grapefruit peels and fruit juice. Grapefruit juice. Uh, is it sweet or dry? I think it's a little bit sweet, yes. I do. It's um, not very bitter or hoppy. One moment, excuse me. It's uh, almost candy-like. Like sour caramels. Mm. And it's fruity. Very fruity. Uh, do I sense any spices in this beer? Not really. No, not really. 
the grapefruit is spicy enough. And it's got a sweet, sour, sour, sweet uh, undertone. Or it's all prevalent, you could say. I don't know the carbonation level, not yet, but uh, I don't think it's very low uh, at all. It's not creamy, of course. It's not acidic, even though it's sour. It's not uh, an artificial sourness, it's a uh, grapefruit sourness. And there are no aberrations. I, every taste in this beer should be there. And I guess it's filtered, but uh, even though it's got a little bit of yeastiness to it. But maybe I'm just imagining it. And uh, let's see, I have a template. Uh, I wouldn't say that there is any other flavors in this beer, but it's enough what there is. Maybe tangerine, maybe, maybe. Okay, what about grading then? For a lager beer, this is a really good beer. For a lager beer, I grade this beer. Hmm. Uh, since it's an interesting beer and new to me in the flavor, flavors in it, I'd, I'd give this beer mm. for a lager beer, nine devils out of ten possible. For a beer, any beer. Even comparing and competing against the uh, ales, uh, this is going to get a pretty high score. But say um, seven, and and if I say seven, I mean it really it's competing against the best Belgian beers and other beers, American also. Ales. So seven is a good review for any beer. Like this is a good beer. Yeah, it's a very good review on this beer. Uh, okay. Let's move on to our second contestant. Our second contestant this week is the beer assortment, Cape Point. 
our normal ABV lager beer from the brewery Cape Brewing Company, but licensed brewed by the Swedish mainstream brewery of Åbro. Cape Point is a place in the southwest of South Africa, where the Atlantic Ocean meets the Indian Ocean. Well, it isn't the actual closest place to where the two oceans meet, but it is close enough for the Cape Town residents to claim that their location is key. Actually, the two oceans meet approximately at Cape Agulhas, more to the southeast, also in South Africa. The beer assortment contains water, barley malt, hops, and yeast. The hops are many. They, they are of the presumably all German sorts, Hercules, Pearl, Spalter Select, and Tetnanger. The malts are of the sorts Pilsner, Muncher, Caramel, and Dextrin malt. The best before date on this particular beer can is the beginning of September 2023. I purchased this beer in mid-October 2022. It has been standing in my cooler since. At present date, it is early March 2023. The can contains 50 centiliter, i.e. about 17 liquid ounces. The can depicts an ape. The can depicts an ape sitting by the cape in the green environment near the ocean. This lager beer costs 33 Swedish kronor, i.e. about 3 US dollars and 15 cents. That is 74 cents per 4 ounces of beer. Strangely enough, I wrote down the price tag for this beer in October 2022, and it was 20, and it was 17 kronor, or 1 US dollar and 60 cents. If it is correct what I wrote down, this beer cost me only half half of the current price last year in October. The preferred serving temperature for the Cape Point lager beer is according to sustainable log 8 to 10 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery says nothing about preferred serving temperatures, but hey, it is a lager beer, so standard temperature I cannot find this beer anywhere on the brewery's website. The Cape Point beer assortment has got a 4.8% ABV, 4.8%. How about the experience then? Typical lager aroma, I think. Not very strong. It's got a two fingers tall head. And it's uh, 
clear in color, very clear, at least now. And uh, it's uh, yellow orangey also in color. First impression. Nothing special. A typical uh, mainstream lager beer. I think it's not very rich, but it's not watery either. It's um, malty, not, if not bread-like, so malty, not yeasty, of course, uh, of course and of course, but it's not, but it's malty. Taste on my palate. Uh, a little bit hoppy, actually. Should be with all that hop in it. Hops in it. It's not very sweet. A little bit dry, perhaps, on the dry side. More than sweet. It leans over a little bit on the dry side. It's uh, not very bitter. Not very little bitter, bitter either, but uh, not very bitter or hoppy. I think uh, perhaps a little bit hoppy. I don't know. More malty anyway, and it's uh, not candy-like. It's not very fruity, I wouldn't say that. No. One moment. Excuse me. I'd say that it, it's, it could be a very faintly spicy, but uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't think so, and uh, not much, but uh, carbonation level seems to be normal. Nothing much to say about this beer. It's a typical lager, lager beer. And if, of course, it's not creamy or acidic. It's not. It's not, of course, it's not acidic. But if it had been a Czech beer, it would probably have been acidic. But it's not. I'm glad it's not.
there are no aberrations. It's filtered, of course. Not much to tell about, uh, tell about this bear. Okay, what about grading then? Hmm. A little bit boring taste. So I'd give it five devils out of 10 possible. I think I will because it's so normal. It doesn't stick out in any way. It's like a, any Obro beer, I'd say that, but it's a Cape Brewing Brewing Company beer, but uh, probably not that exclusive in the beer world. I think. Not even in South Africa. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines, military or civilian. Drink responsibly or not at all. Don't drink at all if you're underaged or pregnant. <laughs> This week's lesson I call the cruise missile Taurus kept 350 and Attackums. The production cost of an advanced American cruise missile is approximately one to two million US dollars. By way of comparison, the unit cost of an advanced American fighter aircraft is approximately 100 million US dollars, the pilots, pilots not included. A cruise missile therefore costs 1-2% to 2 of what an advanced fighter aircraft does. A fighter plane must also always hang weapons on the pylons anyway. Which would you rather risk in a disputed A2AD area? One can squeeze the price per unit for a cruise missile with modern production technology. The Taurus Kep 350 is a missile that is perhaps primarily intended for use against bunkers and other fixed targets. The missile is dropped from an aircraft and uses a navigation system based on image recognition, inertial navigation, terrain references and GNSS to hit a selected target. Sources of interference against a GPS receiver in a cruise missile can e.g. come from a jammer UAV, a jammer balloon and ground jammer. The Kept 350, powered by a jet engine, has a range of 500 plus kilometers, i.e. 310 US miles. 
the weight of the missile is 1400 kilograms, i.e. 3000 pounds plus pounds. Each of the warheads weighs almost 500 kilograms, i.e. 1100 pounds. It has a speed of Mach 0.8 to approximately 0.95 at a flight altitude of 30 to 40 meters, about the same in yards. The towers in a lighter version, Kept 150, also called Kept L for Leicht, can be carried by the Gripen CD, but then with a shorter range. The Kept 350's intended targets are armored bunkers, combat command centers, control centers, communications, air bases, naval bases, ammunition depots, ships in port slash at sea, and bridges. The German Luftwaffe has acquired 600 of the kept 350. So we can imagine what they prioritize, naval targets. Kept 350 equals the new Wolfpack with extremely limited range, not out into the Atlantic, unless we are talking about Kept 350 equipped fighter aircraft that can make sorties and air refuel from a base in northern Norway. But it is still enough range to lift a blockade in the North Sea. Spain has acquired 43 of these Kept 350 and British RAF, as well as the Italian Air Force, have also acquired the KEP 350. So they too probably prioritize naval targets given those countries' location. For an offensive capability, I advocate, advocate this weapon for the Jastrnie Gripenie, provided it is not going to be a first strike weapon. We cannot strike first against any great power. In theory, we can use them in coordination with other attacks, perhaps with targeting from Gotland against enemy naval forces at a distance of 22 to 23 kilometers off the Gotland coast. 22 kilometers equals the territorial border or 12 international nautical miles 22 to 23 kilometers is just my guess. But if individual amphibious vehicles were to swim out from, a, from the belly of a LHD type Mistral, they should do so from a distance of no more than 23 kilometers from the coast. An LCAC hovercraft can only take one MBT at a time. Landings of MBTs will therefore not take place on a large scale from a Mistral-type platform, which the Russians do not possess anyway. But on the other hand, from Rapucha-class ships, which the Russians do possess, the ability is much higher.
the rubber-wheeled HIMARS system, High Mobility Artillery Rocket System, with the cruise missile MGM-168 Attackems from Lockheed Martin, which is a surface-to-surface -surface missile, has a maximum range of 300 kilometers, i.e. 186 US miles. It is inertial on GPS navigator. The MGM-168 Block 4A can be used against naval warships within a range of just below 186 US miles. Positioned on the southern Gotland Cape, the MGM-168 Attackems would possibly reach some ground targets in Kaliningrad, but since the Russian equivalent Iskander K has a range of 500 to 2,000 kilometers, i.e. 300 plus to 1,200 plus US miles. Depending on the source, there is a very wide uncertainty variable. And the Iskander M has a range of about 600 kilometers, i.e. 370 US miles. The Russians only need to move their systems back a bit for the MGM-168 attackums to be ineffective against Iskander platforms. But still, it is unlikely that we will be able to determine the launch site of a mobile target in Kaliningrad Oblast in such a world situation. And that makes attackums completely worthless for such a target. MGM-168 can, however, reach the Naval Infantry Base BDK-58 in Baltisk and almost the Kaliningrad Air Flotilla. But that's not good enough. There are two air flotillas in the Kaliningrad enclave. One at the city of Kaliningrad, the Shkalovsk field, and one well beyond the, the reach of the MGM-168 at Chernaikovsk, also home to the 152nd Missile Brigade. In addition, the Russians know almost exactly where we need to locate the MGM-168 in order for it to reach the Baltisk, Baltisk naval base. And they know this is a must for us, but they also know it is not enough. From that, we can conclude that the MGM-168 attackums will not have the time window or can have any effect before it gets wiped out, since it must be deployed in a very crammed area. Against targets based in, on our own territory, it is a completely different story, e.g. in Norland or from the Swedish mainland against targets on the island of Öland and Gotland. But then the, tar the targets are scattered around and generally not cost-effective to knock out, except for landing craft and anti-aircraft batteries and surface-to-surface -surface missile systems on the islands. But then you have to have good information about where and when exactly these are positioned, and from a visual range, be in communication with the mainland. 
But then the limited war is probably already over, and the threat concept has moved from our islands in the Baltic Sea to include, include our mainland. The obvious choice for us is the aircraft-based Taurus Kept 350, not the AGM-158 JASM range 370 kilometers, i.e. 230 US miles, or the tactical MGM-168 Attackums. That's the Army tactical missile system I was speaking about, for the above reasons. With regard to the interference sensitivity of GNSS systems, the armed forces have developed guidelines for the use of GNSS. There, among other things, the importance that GNSS should not constitute a main navigation system alone, but should be in an indispensable com complement in wartime to methods or systems that are robust and nationally controlled. With relatively simple technology, one can effectively eliminate both civil and military use of unprotected and unsupported GNSS receivers. Support means taking help from other systems or other users. A simple broadband jammer with an output power of 20 watts will knock out a civilian GNSS receiver at distances up to 125 miles. Thank you and see you later, alligator at a wild crocodile. Mm -hmm.